when do you know you found someone who could be the one? Because I believe there's lots of women in the world that I could be with probably and have an amazing life with. But I was like, yeah. when do you know you found someone who could be an amazing partner long yeah. term? Mm -hmm. Without a, a hesitation, he said, when you feel peace. And I was like, wow, I've never felt that in a relationship. Mm. I've always felt like drama, stress, chaos. I believe that each and every one of us has the power within ourselves to create the life that we really want. And I want to help give you the tools to make that happen. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm Pretty Intense. Today, I had an amazing conversation with Lewis Howes. I met him back when I was promoting my book called <laughs> pretty intense. Uh, I did his show called School of Greatness, and it honestly was part of what helped push me or encourage me uh, and feel excited about this idea of doing a podcast because I had done a few of them that week, and I was like, man, podcasts are really fun, and it's really fun to just dive into things in a way that you don't get to do in a five to seven minute interview, which is what I was so used to. So um, we got to dive even further. We talked for a really long time, and we touched on all kinds of things, and a lot of it for him had to do with transitions and how he became this very confident, goal-oriented driven human being, but as a kid was super insecure and even said, I don't even know why I was born, which is just such a, such a, so much distance between those two things. So we talked about bridging that gap and how he got to this position of being really confident and working for the success in service, as opposed to wanting success in validation as a young man. So please enjoy this fantastic show. So did you get up at 5 a.m. this morning? 4.40. 4.40? 4.40. So that you can be out the door by 5 a.m.? 5 a.m., I went out the door and worked out at 5.15 at Barry's Boot Camp. What's that like? It's I've never hard. tried Barry's Boot it's Camp. It's hard at 5 a.m. because you're just sprinting right away. And today's leg day, and I started with legs first and then sprinted. But it's only a 50-minute. Here's my thing. My hack is... At Barry's, I like doing group workouts because it keeps me accountable and it gives me competition. Do you feel like that comes from sort of the team atmosphere of when you were playing football yeah. and in sports? I don't like working out alone. It's just yeah. not as fun. Aaron's the same way. He, like he, he will, like, I'm total self-starter. All I need is a goal. Yeah. A, a photo shoot, a swimsuit. Uh, yeah, I you know, something like that. Like, I just, I just need a goal. And then I'm fine, and I work out by myself most of the time. Really? Yeah. But you've been doing a lot of CrossFit. For yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... I see you with group photos of CrossFit. But I'll go by myself. But you'll work out with other people there. Yeah, but most of the time, that's only because I don't have my own gym, like full gym. Really? But I'm happy garage, to go do no? it by myself. Uh, I used to have a big barn that was a total CrossFit gym, but not anymore. So, mm. um, so I, but I, I'm a total, I'm 100% a self-starter. Like mm. I, the other day I did my own morning workout um, at like 7 a.m. at the house, just like running, jumping, you know, abs, intervals. And then I was like, the afternoon, I was like, well, I have time. I guess I'll just go to the gym and do actual again. weights now. <laughs> and so my legs are thrashed. Wow. But you're um, an introvert. But I you? did that by myself. I actually am. Yeah. Yeah, you're an introvert. I'm a deep relation. I did a personality test and I'm a deep relationship person. Uh -huh. And I'm uninhibited in those. But you but, want to be alone. <laughs> but I'm a loner. But I, I don't like, like, that's why podcasts are fun to me because we're mm. not, this isn't a surface conversation and yeah. I have no time interest or patience or yeah. energy for surface conversations. Sure. 
So I, I did. The personality test was super interesting. Which one was this, Myers-Briggs or? No, it was called like Arno maybe or something like that. What did they tell you about yourself that you didn't know? That, um, that I am an introvert. That you I didn't know that? Really, I didn't really know that. I, oh. I've been told like, you know, Aaron would be like, you're just not really, you know, you just, you're just, <laughs> you just like, want to be alone. not really social. And yeah. I'm like, I am social. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's yeah. pretty easy to look back and reflect and be like, you're in a car by yourself all the time. Yeah, so maybe. So you like the solitude of being like alone. Self-starter. I like guess you, you have like to go to the ear. gym with all your friends exactly. and I like to just sit by myself I like to in the have, car. Yeah, I like to have one accountability person. Okay. So I go with like a buddy okay. of mine who is faster than me and mm -hmm. he pushes me. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Most people want to go me. with somebody less fit I'm than I'm stronger than him. Mm. He's 60 pounds lighter. Mm, so he can go the distance. Okay, he's got the engine. I can sprint and we're about the same sprinting, you know, short distance, but when it's two and a half miles and berries after you do weights, it's like a hit workout, my lungs are dead and he's 60 pounds lighter. I'm like, put a weight vest on. Yeah. You know, and see how you yeah. do against me. But mm -hmm. um, I like the accountability because he's always pushing me. Yeah. And it forces good. me to wake up. If I didn't have someone to get up at 5 a.m., yeah. like, eh, I'll do six, it's I'll do true. seven. I mean, I do work out with people too. And when you mm -hmm. book a time, you gotta go. You gotta go. You gotta go. Um, the other interesting thing I found out in the personality test was that because um, it breaks it down into three categories. There's your social interaction, which, and then there's there's so there's three categories, and within each category, there's your expressed amount and then your wanted amount. And so in the social situation, my expressed, it's like one to ten, is like a one or two. <laughs> I want how much? Do you think? You want to hang out with people? No, how much do you think I want to hang out like socially, like su like surface conversations? Social? Surface conversations? Like none. Zero. It's yeah, a zero. Yeah, yeah. I, I want none, which is my loner's like want to be alone thing. And yeah. then the next You'd rather category. be alone and have your own long oh, yeah. conversations with yourself yeah. that are intimate and vulnerable than surface with people you don't care about. Yep. I'd rather do yoga, meditate, yeah. journal, listen to podcasts, Read, you know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Read. Um, and then the next category is, um, it's basically like your, your leadership. Mm -hmm. So, um, I express, um, quite a bit, like it's your confidence, it's your decision-making, um, goal setting, goal setting. So I express, uh, a lot and I want a lot like I'm very I actually don't want as much as I express I express like a seven maybe and I want like a five or six mm -hmm. amount so but I express a ton of confidence a ton of decision-making wow. skills like I am what they call cl uh, choleric um, choleric choleric all right the first one I was like a uh, melancholy okay <laughs> and then the last category which was the other one that I was in that was surprised me was your deep relationships and your affection category are you affectionate I, I am. My, my love language in the five love languages, it's I'm touch. physical touch. That's my number one. For sure. And then words and of affirmation is two for me. Yeah, that's actually my, yeah, exactly. There you you go. Know, Aaron was like, oh, your number two is definitely words of affirmation. <laughs> I think in my personality test, it said that I wanted to hear like, and I love you every day. Like once a day or multiple times Probably a day? Probably every hour is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you love hearing that. Yeah. So my, so the problem with my affection category was that I express like a six, but I want like an eight. Wow. So I don't express as much as I want. And so if you go, like, that? I don't know if you ever th like deal with people and go, I'm going to give what I want, right? Like I, I, if I want affection, but I don't really want to express it. I want to get it. So it's like this wow. dichotomy of like, um, confidence to huh. just kind of be like, okay, just, just give it in, you know, just like, even though maybe, maybe I'm feeling insecure, but just go give him a hug or like, go just reach out and, 
you know, talk to them or something like that in the affection category. Really? But it goes with deep relationships too. Why, so are, you, why like, are you scared to give affection? That um, I... As much, as much as you want to receive it. I'm an observer, it says. I observe and then react. So if I observe... When you receive that, it, then you'll give it. Exactly. So, which is <laughs> tough, right? So if I observe that you want physical touch, let's say, just the love language, then I give it. Okay. But if I don't observe you wanting it, then I don't give it, which means I'm depleted because I want it. Mm. So you got to know you that about You me. receive it when you give it because <laughs> yeah. you're hugging someone and you're getting it right back. Yeah. So it was really, have you ever taken a personality test? I have. Yeah, I've taken a few. I always forget what mine are, like the NFIJ, all those okay. ones. I can't remember what my thing is, but... Uh, but I'm, my, my love language is physical touch and words of affirmation. And I've mm-hmm. always attracted people who are like the opposite, <gasps> who want like gifts or don't care about it as much, or who aren't affectionate. So or I, acts of service, you're like, I just don't want yeah, to I don't care. garbage out. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care either. I but haven't I, made my bed in 10 years. I make my bed every morning. For me, that's really important. <laughs> but I never used to make my bed until like six years ago. Okay. Never made it. And then things started to shift when I actually decided that that's one of the most important things I do. Game changer Because it me. starts your day that way. I think it just, it clears the energy in my room as opposed to like coming back to a messy space. Okay. I build inner confidence that like, okay, I did something where I took care of myself. Mm-hmm. It's like an act of self-love. It's like okay. I'm worthy of a clean, organized space. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's messy like around the bed, but I try to at least make the bed clean. Mm-hmm. I might have stuff up on my dresser and like clothes on the ground, but it's like clean bed. Mm-hmm. It's just one thing I try to do every day. It's not easy, but I feel like I've been doing it for six years now, and it makes me feel like, yeah, I'm, I deserve to have everything I want. For whatever reason, when I make my bed, it's like, yeah, I'm deserving of all this. What else do you do for self-care? I think working out at minimum five days a week for me is like mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I'm, I'm very expressive with my words in like a loving way. Mm-hmm. So I've been dating a, a new girlfriend for the last six months now, and luckily, I've always dated girls that uh, physical, they weren't affectionate. Is she? So I would, she's like more than affectionate. Oh, she's good. like super affectionate. <laughs> so her number one and two are the same as mine. Oh my God. So we're just like, oh, I love oh you. God. I love you. You're amazing. <laughs> like, oh, you're so amazing. Your tanks are full. Full all the time. It's incredible. <laughs> it's fantastic. Now she's like a little messy though. Okay. I like organization too. And she's like a little messy. Uh, so I'm going to have to learn how to handle like dealing with someone who maybe doesn't do... Uh, you know, service as much or things like that, but she's she's incredible. So. I have a solution. Or, cleaning lady. Cleaning lady. I have that too. Yeah, <laughs> she's messy like the dinner table. She'll eat. It's like just spread everywhere, and I'm like, ah, pet peeve of mine. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. But um, making the bed, working out, and meditation. I think if those three things, people talk about it all the time on every book and podcast now, but I think those three things: book, um, bed, and workout. I'm sorry, no, meditation, bed, and a workout is. When do you me, meditate? Right after the bed. In the so morning. So, workout. Tell me what your. your I just how do like a 15 minute. Do, do you sit on the bed? Do you sit on a chair? I just do you sit lay up. down? I sit I don't try to do anything crazy. I sit up. I, have, I went to India two years ago to become a meditation instructor. I went for two weeks and like learned and then took meditation instructor class. And so, I just follow a simple 15 minute guided meditation where I listen to some like light music that's kind of like waves crashing. Okay. And I have a process that I follow, which is just what some is deep it? breathing. You're really just counting, uh, uh, you're doing a deep breath in and then twice as long out for mm. four counts. You repeat that twice, and then there's 
different processes where you're humming some of it, you're thinking something, you're doing a mantra, mm -hmm. and then the ending is just a period of gratitude. It's mm -hmm. really focusing on what's the intention for the day yeah. and what I'm setting my, gra my gratitude for. So yeah. if I work out first thing, make my bed, usually I'll shower and then I'll meditate. I try to be clean afterwards and then I'll meditate. You're I feel a big like cleanly guy. <laughs> I feel like I react less throughout the day and I make better decisions. If really? I do those three things, because I feel like I'm deserving of incredible things. Yeah. How long did it take you to get into that rhythm of meditation? Because it's something that I, I enjoy, but I have this all in or out kind of personality with stuff like that, mm -hmm. where I'm like, if I don't have 30 or 40 minutes to really get there and feel like I get, you know, messages from God mm -hmm. and or some from source, and if I don't connect with visions that I have and mm -hmm. have telepathy with someone or something or send energy, like I'm like, oh, it's just too much. It's it's not worth it. Yeah, when I, after I did the meditation class in India, I was pretty consistent for about six months. Mm -hmm. Then I was like... Consistent every day? Consistent? Yeah, That's yeah. impressive. I would say five days a week. And then I was like, my life is good. I don't need this. I, like, I can take a couple of days off. Yeah. And then it became like once a week and then mm -hmm. once a month. Mm -hmm. And then I started to notice that my life went in chaos. Emotional, wow. inner world chaos. Just like everything was kind of out of alignment. And so I was like, oh, I haven't been meditating. Let me try this again. And I started to meditate huh. and I realized I was less reactive. Huh. Because I would, in my meditation, I practice uh, manifesting everything I want that day and for the future, but I also practice, what if everything goes wrong today? What if my- That's an interesting thought actually, because it's, you know, thinking about what you don't want, which is usually people not don't, encouraged. But, but I think as an athlete, I'm sure you can relate to this, I would visualize all week long before the game like how the play, the plays were gonna play out. I would visualize myself on the field, I would go on the field before the game alone, walk through my routes, I would dream about it. I would the think night about before it. you'd watch Rudy. Exactly, I watched Rudy a lot. <laughs> Rudy was like, and I would cry every time too. <laughs> I know Aaron cries at Rudy, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, he actually knows the story, real story, so you should yeah, I've met some the guy. time about I've the I've met the story. guy, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but I started visualizing what if everything goes wrong Who's the ideal man that I want to be in those moments? Mm, okay. So if I was to look at myself uh, and see, so I visualize, it's kind of weird, but I visualize my ideal Lewis in front of me every time I meditate. Okay. What does he look like? What is his aura? How is he standing? Is he slouched? Is he tired? Or does he have energy? Is he vibrant? Mm. Like who do I want to become? Mm -hmm. I look at myself like in a metaphorical mirror and I think of what would he do when everything goes right? So is he cocky? Is he like showing off to everyone? Is he saying, I told you so? Or is he humble and more of a giver? And what happens when everything goes wrong? When I get cut off in traffic every day, when I'm late to something, when someone does something that I don't like, or I feel like someone was attacking me or abusing me or whatever it may be, taking advantage of me, how does he respond? Hmm. And I try to, I'm not perfect at this, like I still react a lot. And it's an intention, it's not a... It's an intention, yeah. but I want to, you know, I believe that we can't control what happens in our lives or what people do, but we control how we react to those situations. So if I want to become better every day, how do I, how do I learn to react better in situations when things don't go well? Mm -hmm. And how do I have more humility and gratitude when things go my way, everything? Mm -hmm. And so I just try to think about that, mm. and um, and every night's a reflection. Like, how did I do on a scale of one to ten? Did I, 
react like a jerk and an asshole again? Or was I positive and loving and really compassionate towards someone like cutting me off or screaming at me or leaving a negative comment on my pot, whatever it is. It's like, mm -hmm. did I step in their shoes and have compassion or was I just reactive and like a hurt little boy? Mm -hmm. And I think that helps me grow into becoming who I want to be. Mm. Yeah. That's beneficial. So I try to visualize it all, which maybe it's not good to like visualize manifesting something yeah. negative, but I think it's but not like I'm spending time on it. you want to react, which exactly. is different than the bad thing happening. Yeah. You're not visualizing the bad thing happening. You're visualizing yeah. the man you want to be in exactly. adversity, yeah. which is totally different. That's, mm -hmm. that's a positive thing. Yeah. I read a book called Frequency, and in the book, one of the sort of techniques that they had you go through was to feel into the worst, worst possible case scenario of something happening and mm. how that feels in your body. And then now imagine the best possible case scenario and, and see how that feels. Because again, it was all about energy and frequency. And it was so amazing the difference between you know, re like receiving and digesting and reacting to something in a really like simple, calm way versus getting angry. You're like, oh, that's awful. That's yeah, so yeah, much yeah. resistance. Yeah, when your body tightens up, it's hard to focus on expansion because mm -hmm. uh, what is our sympathetic nervous system focuses on one thing, whereas the parasympathetic, I think it's right, is more of like a relaxed state. Mm. The sympathetic, I believe, is fight or flight, and the, the parasympathetic is more like peace and calm. Oh. And so when we are, when our body tightens up, we are actually narrowing our focus uh, and, and unable to see the whole picture. Narrowing our focus in the wrong way. Where an athlete gets into the zone and narrows their focus and is in flow, this is like a negative thing. Hmm. So we want to try to relax in, in okay. moments of stress as much as possible. I'm sure you do this all the time you, on the track. When you tightened up, it's yeah. hard to freaking maneuver around people. Well, I mean, you're I mean you narrow the focus to like block out distractions. Exactly. But how do you... so? Is the meditation part of getting into the parasympathetic system that feels you more relaxed and calm versus... That's, for me it is, and that's what all the experts say, because unless there's another way for you to get into it. Yeah. With us who want, you know, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people are high achievers, and as us driven athletes who always want more, mm -hmm. we don't take much time to rest our body and our minds. And so unless we're walking in nature for a couple hours a day, unless mm -hmm. we're going on the beach and allowing vitamin D to hit our bodies, which is supposed to happen a minimum of 30 minutes a day when we're inside all the time, unless we're actually peaceful in our mind, there's just constant anxiety for most of us. We're not even aware it's anxiety, but it's like constant thoughts of anxiousness, stress, worry, fear, resentment, guilt, yeah. anger that's running our minds, which affects our body. And I think that's what causes a lot of negative reactions for us physically and when we manifest it in relationships. So for me, when I do meditation in the morning, I at least know that I did 15 minutes of peaceful visualizing and calming my nervous system mm -hmm. and relaxing my mind. It gives me confidence for the rest of the day, even if it's 15 minutes. I'm yeah. like, I can handle anything that comes to me. If I have an hour, I'm gonna be able to handle everything else even better. Okay. If I have two hours of meditation, Wait a I'm going to be like a, a ninja, like just taking over the world. You're levitating. <laughs> Jay, Shetty does, you... Jay Shetty does two hours every single morning, doesn't oh. miss a morning. And, I, and there's, you know, for me, I, I believe there's... So peaceful. But there's a reason why he's able to take on so much. And he's on the table on so much at so many, uh, all the time, and he's growing so fast. And everything he does, I believe, is because he is at peace in his mind and his heart all the time. Hmm. As opposed to waking up, checking your phone, already reacting, already go, go, go. Mm. He's really taking in the world. He's got, his awareness is expanded to 
How can I serve everyone, not just what's going wrong in my life right now? What do I need to handle right now to get out of the stress? Getting to you, getting mm. more to you and mm. who you are. Yeah. And you can't operate when you're trying to be someone else or react to everything else. How did you- It's hard to get in I flow. Mean, yeah, I mean, how, how do you stay true to you? Because I think getting to know yourself is a lot more challenging than the words. It sounds easy. You're like, oh, I know me. <laughs> Um, how do I get to know me? I think uh, I do a lot of self-reflection and I ask for feedback all the time mm -hmm. from people I, I, I think are much wiser than me. So I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a demand for feedback. Whereas my teens until late 20s, I didn't want anyone to give me feedback. I was like, screw you, this is who I am, don't try to change me. Now I really look up to mentors of mine and I ask them like, what am I doing that could I improve? How am I messing up where you feel like, oh, I shouldn't be doing that? And sometimes I don't like what they say. And sometimes it doesn't always resonate with me, but there's usually something I can take and say, you know what, yeah, let me think about that better. Let me try to apply this in my life. So I'm always a demand for feedback, trying to improve. Mm -hmm. I think who I uh, surround myself with uh, supports me in understanding myself better. Because mm. they're a mirror of what's working and what's not working. It's true. Right? Once you start understanding projection and mirrors, starts to get really overwhelming and that's you're like, it. God, I suck. <laughs> it's all up to me. But that's, I think that that for me, like the purpose of this show um, was to really wake people up to themselves, mm. right? To make people realize that it's not outside of you, it's within you. And if we all, Everything. like instead of trying to go out and say, you know, change and save the world, go out in, one at a time or just wake people up to the fact that it's within them. Yeah. Did you ever have that moment where you realize like, oh, shit. It's within me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's when I was, my fault. When I was 20, I was 23, 24, I read The Alchemist. Oh, it's and, my favorite. And like the end of the book is like, the treasure's within you. Don't go look around the world trying yeah. to find the treasure. I think that was pretty much the ending. So sorry to give it away if you haven't read it. but. The treasure was within me. I was like, oh wow, I have all the answers I need within me. Yeah. And then I started like asking myself the questions. Now I'm a professional question asker to everyone else also now, but I've always been asking myself the questions. Mm -hmm. And I've found that my intuition has never been wrong. Mm. And, and I go, I've gone against mm -hmm. my intuition a lot, specifically in relationships. Like I'll get into relationships, I'm like, this is not the right thing for me but something is telling me like, I wanna conquer this or I wanna help this person. I wanna, I'm desiring this. And then I stay in it way too long. And my intuition's like, get out. But my head is like, yeah, but what about this? And it's fulfilling this need. And every time something doesn't work out, and I knew, I knew it wasn't gonna work out. My intuition's telling me like, why are you doing this? You know how many people are shitting themselves listening to this right now? They're like, oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. Right, it's shocking. Yeah. Um, how much, so then there's this little part within your intuition that mm -hmm. gets me confused, which is um, <laughs> past trauma. Oh yeah. Or um, you know, looking for a problem based on that past trauma. Right, because you want to validate the emotion yeah. that you're having because you've experienced something in your past. So I get a little confused in that loop of, of intuition or a feeling and mm. 
and, and, and projecting or letting some fear inside me get out of control yeah. based on something ever. So do you feel, does that ever happen to you? Yeah, all the time. I was just doing an interview yesterday with uh, a, psych a psychologist who was talking about how we, we look for the patterns from you know, childhood of our parents mm -hmm. to try to repeat that because that's what's normal for us. It's familiar. Mm. Even if it was wrong that our mother screamed at our father all the time or that our father cheated on our mother or that our father hit our mother or whatever it is, even though we knew it was wrong and it put us in a, a place of stress our whole childhood or whatever we faced, we look for that in like the partner mm. until we break the pattern until we consciously say, okay, that's not what I want. Okay. Even though it's familiar for us. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you're smiling because you saw this happen to you in certain relationships in the past. Mm -hmm. And we repeat that. I'm not a psychologist, but this is what I've studied yeah. and what they've told me. What have you had to face? That's really what oh, I was Oh man, I feel like, like, yeah, I feel like. Uh... You're, you're having memories <laughs> yeah. right now. And I want well, to see if these are, there's some memories you know that could help other people. Yeah, you know what's interesting? It's like, I got out of a, a four and a half year relationship at the end of last year and it ended badly. And I wouldn't say it ended badly on my end from like reactions. Her reactions were just like, this was like the biggest breakup in the world and it was the worst thing it could ever happen. It was like the end of the world, right? Type of a feeling. And I started to reflect after a week of this ended, I started to reflect back on my life and I was like, what are all the relationships I've had? What do they have in common? All the women I've dated, right? Mm. Thinking back to like 16, 17 years mm -hmm. old. 20 years of relationships. I go, what do they all have in common? And never once after a breakup did I reflect back and think, what do my relationships have in common? I was always just like, ah, oh, they're messed up or it didn't work out or, or I messed up, whatever. I was just like, ah, oh, it didn't work out. And I was like, huh. They've, a lot of them have ended where the women I've dated have, I won't say like gone crazy, but just like reacted over the top, like freaked out, make a huge deal about like, it's caused a lot of stress. You treated him too well. Exactly. <laughs> it's true though. I treated everyone really well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you should. That's um, it. If that's who you are. That you should. And so I'm like, gosh, it's not like I, you know, did anything crazy, but it's like, okay, and I've always treated these women well. So it's like, what is it? Well, I'm the common denominator. So they've, they've all ended badly, and the common denominator is me. Mm-hmm. So I'm responsible for choosing all these relationships, for being in all these relationships, for mm -hmm. staying in all these relationships, for all my actions, words, everything. Okay. It's my fault and I'm responsible. So I finally had this awareness, like I'm responsible for choosing to be in these relationships. Well, why are you choosing to be in those relationships exactly. where it ends well? So this is why I said, okay, so what do they all have in common? Right. And why, did, why was I attracted to these types of women? Mm. And I realized that they, they had a lot of things in common, but there were really three core things. That just like, I was like, wow, how did mm. I never see this before? <laughs> this is where it gets good. So I think, before I share this, I think a lot of people don't reflect on their breakups or reflect on why they got fired from three jobs over sure. six years or reflect sure. on why these patterns happen. Yeah, look at yourself. And I started, you know, it took me 35 years, but I finally was woke up and I was like, okay, let me reflect on this. And I realized they had three things in common. Number one, they were all beautiful to me, extremely beautiful. I was attracted to them sexually. Mm -hmm their beauty, mm -hmm. uh, more than just like physical beauty, they had you know spiritual beauty, emotional beauty, mental beauty, things like that. So I, they were beautiful for me. Number two, they all had some type of talent or gift that I was really attracted to. 
One was a talented photographer, one was a doctor, one was a dancer, one was a singer. And I was just like, wow, it's this cool like gift that I can mm. learn from and like play with and like, you know, just like be entertained by. And the third one, I was like, wow, they all have this thing in common. Third one was a huge eye opener for me that none of them, I would say, in my personal opinion, believed they were beautiful or talented. Mm. And I remember they were looking I would, for you to validate. Well, I don't know if they were looking for me, but I was looking. I was like, "How do you not see how beautiful you are? How talented you are?" I was like, "What? You're so amazing!" I was like, "Come here, like, let me build you up. Let me like coach you. Let me increase your confidence, so I can be like the hero for you or something, right?" Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about this. I was subconsciously doing this until I reflected back on it. It's like, wow. I would say again, this is on my personal opinion, but I would say on a, if we were scaling like their level of confidence, one to 10, I would say they were in the two to three range, most of them, right? But they were so beautiful and talented. Oh. I was like, man, you're so smart. You've got a gift, like you're unbelievable. How do you not see this? But every time they would get ready to go out, you know, some of them were different than others, so I'm not trying to like speak negatively on anything, but they just didn't see the beauty. They would be like, God, I just don't look good. I don't feel mm. good. I, I, no, this is ugly. I look ugly. Like they would just say this language mm. about their looks and how they felt. Hmm. And I was like, you look amazing. And it didn't matter how much I said the words. It didn't matter how affectionate the love languages that I were. Right. They would never, I wouldn't say never. They would get to maybe like a five, in my opinion, mm -hmm. of like confidence. Like, okay, they only talked about themselves bad half the time. Mm -hmm. And after a while, I was just like, man, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. Like after six months, a year, it. I can't keep trying to like help you increase. Mm -hmm. When your confidence continues to stay down, you've got to find this within. Yeah. But I kept staying with people for years. Like, I'm going to need you to listen to my show, though. After exactly. we broke I know, right? <laughs> You're going to get I'm a sure, lot of confidence. I'm sure they would say a lot of things negative about me or whatever. Again, I'm not trying to speak negatively. I think yeah. they have It's just like your, have your observation. They have incredible gifts. I just didn't think they believed in themselves. Yeah. And I think as the, the, the guy who wants to help people believe in themselves more, yeah. and, and it was like, how do you not see your incredible gifts? <laughs> and I finally reflected on it. I said, okay, first off, I said, I'm going to be single for a year. <laughs> you know, I was in a relationship for four and a half years, up and down, rocky and therapy out of there. Like, and I was like, I should have listened to my intuition the whole time <laughs> and tried to be out of it, right? But I learned a great lesson. I was like, Moving forward, when I date someone, I want them, I want, I want them to be beautiful, that I think they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. I want them to have talent, and I want them to be super confident, like over the spectrum of confidence with humility, grace, gratitude, and, and a giving mindset, mm. which I thought that's gonna be hard to have. That's You're, hard, right? Because that's perfect confidence. That's like just a, that's a peace, right? They have peace. 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 And every time I was in a relationship, I kept saying to myself, man, I never feel peace. <gasps> and there was not one relationship where I'd come home and I want to feel like, like clenched mm. up when I get around them. Cause I just, mm. there's always going to be an argument or always a conversation or doubt or insecurity. And I was just like, I can't keep trying to work so much to have someone like increase their confidence. Hmm. And I said to myself, and I remember asking uh, Devon Franklin, who you should interview sometime. He uh, wrote a book called The Weight where he and his wife waited to have sex before oh, they were married, Okay. right? They're both in Hollywood, you know, it's a big thing or whatever. They wrote a book called The Wait. And I asked him, I go, when do you know you found someone who could be the one? 
because I believe there's lots of women in the world that I could be with probably and have an amazing life with. But I was like, yeah. when do you know you found someone who could be an amazing partner long term? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without a hesitation, he said, when you feel peace. And I was like, wow, I've never felt that in a relationship. Mm. I've always felt like drama, stress, chaos. Mm. And it was also like a model that I had growing up. When I reflect back on what like psychologists have said to me, like my parents were always fighting. <laughs> One was more confident than the other. Hmm. One was the breadwinner. The other one was like more insecure. Wow. There was a lot of, um, you know, fights and then not taught passive aggressiveness for weeks and then coming back together and then repeating that cycle over and over. And that's kind of what I was doing in my relationships. I was trying to find someone who was yeah. insecure and build them up. But I wasn't even aware of it. I wasn't even conscious about it. I was just attracted yeah. to someone for no reason. We just repeat the cycle. Repeat it. Seen. And so I said to myself, after this breakup, I was like, I'm going to be single for a year. I'm going to join my life. I live in LA, right? You know, I'm a successful guy. I'm going to have fun. I'm just yeah. going to like keep it casual. <laughs> and within, that a, go? <laughs> within a month, this girl like smacked me in my face. And I was like, she's pretty much everything I've ever wanted. Wow. And it terrified me. Well you got to a better place too, Yeah. right? We tend to find someone we get to a place When we're of, ready for it. Yeah, right? I wasn't when, ready for it. And you're vibing at the same frequency. Exactly. And you met someone like that. And it was scary because I was like, I do not want to jump all right. all your better judgment. Exactly. You know, like, I'm going to be this. I'm exactly. going to do this. And she, she defied did, the odds. She, well, she just, she made it a no-brainer mm-hmm. because there was so much peace. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, I've never felt that. Mm-hmm. But that's what to I need to lead to. You lunch and you're like, to. that was peaceful. You go to dinner and sit. <laughs> that, that was amazing. Was peaceful. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> Dare I say peaceful. So I think everyone listening or watching should reflect on the career they've been in where it maybe hasn't been working out or the relationship yeah. they've been in that hasn't worked out or whatever it may be. Yeah. Reflect on like what are the commonalities of all those things in yeah. the past. I- ironically, I, I just did... Um, getting, you know, vulnerable and and honest with people did this similar thing with Aaron where I was like, let's write down what we love about each other. Let's write down what is important to the other person. Let's write down what's important for the other person to do. Let's write what's a, you know, what, and then, and then one of the questions to, for both of us to write down was let's reflect on, on, um, on how you've repeated cycles in your life. Repeated cycles in your life. What was yours that you repeated? Oh, let's go, um, share it. <laughs> wait, I'm interviewing you. I know, but I'm curious now. Um, you know, I'm, um, I'm, uh, I have a dream. I don't look back, I look forward. So I get very attached to a dream, an image, a situation that I want to happen, and I have a lot of endurance for that. You'll go and 10, so 20 I, years for that dream, I, right? I am. I will. Um, Do whatever it takes. Sacrifice your life, your energy, your time. I will always move. So I've moved for every God, relationship. So similar to me. <laughs> I mean, I've lived in Arizona, North Carolina. Four relationships? L.A. I've only just learned to like L.A. I hated L.A. when I came. So did I. I mean, so there. I've always moved Green Bay. I mean, I've always moved. For a relationship. Yes. And so I will always sacrifice. I will always be so all in. Wow. I will, and I will, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really, I think the, the hardest one is that I have so much endurance, and I will, I will justify any kind of behavior to save the dream. Wow. So you'll stay in something that's not working or toxic or hurting you mm-hmm. or whatever, emotionally or physically, yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. 
because of the long-term goal. Because mm-hmm, I see this vision, which wow. is beneficial in business because you can hold on. You know, I've learned how to and, flow yeah. because that's another subcategory of like all of life is this learning how to flow with things, which I want to talk about with you. But but that but the goal-oriented sort of mindset that I have, it just doesn't really work in the personal relationship category. But I let it spill over. Gosh, I'm similar in the past. But you know what's interesting now? I'm so on- I've never been a hundred percent honest in any relationship, like mm. intimate relationship. What do you mean? Like what? Like would you I feel like um, you have to tell me like, exactly. No, like you don't in the last like- relationship, let's say just example, <clears throat> like because all a lot of the women I've been with have a level of insecurity that's you know I, I would say like below a five level mm-hmm. of insecurity most of the time. I'm not saying all the time. Um, a lot of them weren't weren't comfortable with who I was in the world. Oh yeah. Like, sure. if I was doing an interview with you, mm-hmm. they would have an issue with it. Oh sure. Mm-hmm. Like, where is the interview? How long are you gonna be? Are you gonna have lunch afterwards? Mm-hmm. Like, you're gonna connect with this part? Just like a level of like, I don't have freedom. So I would just be like, yeah, I've got an interview today or whatever. I wouldn't say who. Skip it the is. details. <laughs> yeah, or I'm having a coffee with someone. I would just wouldn't even say I'm having coffee. You know, it's kind of like because not that I would do anything or anything would happen. It's just. Yeah. I didn't want to deal because it happened so often in the beginning. Where I was like, "This is not worth telling you the truth about everything." Right. When you it get means upset, nothing, you're but hurt, you're gonna freak out. You're upset. You're hurt. You're frustrated. It's just another level of like insecurity. So I would, I didn't have the courage and confidence to tell the truth about those types of situations mm-hmm. because I didn't want to deal with the stress. You didn't feel free. I didn't feel peace, free. I didn't feel I can be myself. Yeah. And I didn't feel like she trusted me. Mm. Like, if you don't trust me, you wouldn't yeah. stress. If you trust me, you wouldn't stress out about this. Right. So. This relationship, I remember in the first few weeks of us dating, she was like, I want you to promise me something that you always tell me the truth. And I remember sitting there, I was just kind of like smiled. I was like, I honestly don't think you can handle the truth. And she goes, I can handle it. She goes, I may not like certain things, but I can handle it. And I go, really? She goes, yes. I don't care what you do in your I life. I relate to that. I don't care what you do. Yep. If you, you know, I know you love to salsa dance, go salsa dance. I know yeah. you love to do this. Like, I will trust you fully. I just want you to tell me the truth. The lie is worse than the truth. It's worse. Yeah. It sucks and it eats you alive. Mm-hmm. It, eats, yeah. it was never fun for me, but I felt, and then I would resent the relationship. Mm-hmm. I was in a hair because sure. I wasn't telling the truth because yeah. I wanted to. It was a whole cycle. And so I remember I was like, wow. I had a moment where I paused. I was just looking in their eyes and I was just like, okay, I will always you. tell you the truth. No matter what. Are you mm. sure you want that? She said, yes. I go, okay, done. And it's been so freeing for me. Mm. Every moment I just say everything that's on my mind. Like yep. radical honesty. Yeah. Even though it is scary and takes time to like learn how to do. Right. Like it gives me anxiety telling her stuff. Does it then, cause discomfort then at times too? Is there like a little bit of tension every now and again? Yes, okay. there is. But she's not holding on to it. She doesn't make me wrong. It's only for like short periods of time where she's just like, okay, I don't like that. But she wants, she'd rather me tell her the truth than lie. And then we move past it pretty do you quickly. Feel like it, do you feel like you almost have to? Do you feel like this urgency of transparency between the two I of just, you where yeah. you can see when something's going on, she can see when something's going on, you just need to ask, you just need to say it, or it, you just need to tell her. Do you feel that kind of transparency? Uh, she, she has that more than me. Like she, Whenever she has something, <laughs> she's like a fiery Latina, so anytime there's something on her mind, she's like, I just have to say how I feel all the time. Yeah. I'm like, I get it. I'm like, sometimes like, you might be like blowing things out of proportion, but... Thank you for being honest with me. Yeah. And now let's move on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So 
it's learning for me because I've never been this yeah. way. I have, I mean, Aaron and I have that super transparent emotion. Like we can tell immediately. I mean, I could be Something's sitting in the off. car. Yeah. I can remember, <laughs> I remember being in LA here, we were leaving, it was last year and this is very early on. And you know, I'm sitting in the car and he says something and I just look out the window and I start thinking something negative and he goes, what's wrong? What just happened? And I was like, what? <laughs> like that level of transparency of immediate frequency feel right away. is immediate. And it's amazing it's, when you it, get to it, that place. Look, it becomes a little bit of work because you have to go there. A lot of work. work. Thank you. A lot of work. I think it's because it's it's easier to not it's easier to not have resistance by like not saying the full truth. Mm-hmm. When you know there's going to be resistance by sharing the truth, who wants to feel stress? No one. Yeah. So our defense mechanism is to like not say certain things yeah. or hide a little Hold bit of the in. truth. Hide a little. Yeah, whatever yeah. it may be, to not cause upset in a relationship, mm-hmm. especially when it's constant upset, which is what I what I was feeling. And um, my whole life, I felt like in different areas of my life, I was like a liar. A liar, a cheater, a thief. Mm. Like in different times and stages of my life. Mm. Mm-hmm. I remember when I, was a, when I was a kid, I would lie to my dad because he would be angry when he knew the truth. Like if I said the truth, he would like spank me or something. I was oh my like- my God, you got taught this from me. Your subconscious has been just killing everything. you. Everything, but for all of us, right? All of us, 100%. <laughs> I'm so aware of it now and it's like, I'm okay. I'm like, I've like patted myself as like a child on the back, like emotionally all the yeah. time. I'm like, yeah. it's okay. I understand you now. Yeah. And, um, and I don't beat myself up anymore for it. Like, I used yeah. to beat myself up for, for all the bad things that I did. Mm-hmm. And I would just hold on. And then I would reflect this anger into the world because I was like beating myself up. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, I would lie to my dad because he would get angry if I did something he didn't like. So I'd lie about it. Mm-hmm. Then as a, as a, like a 11 to 13 year old, I, I couldn't go into a store without stealing something for two years. Every time I went into a store, I had to steal. A klepto, isn't it? For a couple of years until, <laughs> and I never got caught. I was like, not wow. to brag about stealing, but, but I was good really <laughs> good at stealing. Now I was talking like candy bars Look, and gum. If you're gonna steal, you might as well be good at it, because otherwise you're gonna get in trouble. I went for two years, and then I, and then the one time I got caught, I never stole anything again. And um, I got caught actually by my dad. We went to his. Oh, we went not to even his, law. Not even law, exactly. <laughs> I went to uh, we went to a client client's house of his. And I stole something from the client and he found out about it. And I lied to my dad because I didn't want to get in trouble. And he eventually like found out about it. And I was like, this is the worst feeling in the world. Like having, he made me go face the person I stole mm. from, give him this thing back. And I was like, I never want to feel this again. <laughs> so I've never stolen again. Mm. And um, I cheated on schoolwork all the time. Mm. All the time. Copy, homework. I was, again, as a, I was really good at it. You know, I was not good in school, but I was really good at cheating. And we used to have scantrons. I don't know if you remember scantrons. Oh yeah, totally. So I knew exactly where to position myself in the room, so where see. the where the teacher was, so she couldn't see like my eye level. But just Kitty be right Porter here. from you was a girl that I, had every was really smart, smart girl, I, and I would and I would make sure I got a C plus. I would not copy hundred percent. I would like make them wrong, and it was just like a professional <laughs> cheater. I was a professional cheater, <laughs> and I'm not proud. I'm not proud. It was like a defense mechanism because yeah. I was like. I had study hall every day. I was tutored all the time. And it didn't matter how much people helped me. When I tried to not cheat, I would fail. So I was just like, I guess I just have to cheat if I want to pass this grade. And uh, when I reflect back on all this, I'm like, now I'm finally 
not lying. Mm-hmm. Like even like little lies, you know what I mean? Yeah. To like not simple, cause like, pain. Going to coffee. Exactly. Right? Stuff or like that. Coming here today. <laughs> exactly. And it's yeah. like for the it took me 35 years to get to yeah. a place. I'm 36 now, but it took me 35 years to get to a place where I'm not cheating, lying, or stealing. And it's like. I look back, I'm like, God, what a loser I was to be like doing well, all these things for so long. Now, yeah. Even I though it wasn't like levels of lying or cheating, but it's like. But like, take me back to that kid because, you know, in obviously I know you, mm-hmm. did your show, yeah, I yeah. listened to you, but in doing, like reading up on you even more, I was like, wow, your life has been a series of so many transitions. Yeah, transitions and traumas. Yeah, and like one of them that was a really identifiable is this, you know, this kid who just didn't feel accepted, mm-hmm. you wondered why you even were alive, yeah. you had no confidence. And then on the other side of this, you turned into this very confident, goal oriented, mm-hmm. yeah. I want to go to the Olympics, you know, football player. And mm-hmm. it's like, take me back to that. Like, how did that kid who didn't believe in himself and didn't even know why he was alive, how did he become confident? <sighs> there were many days where I would get in trouble at school and be in the principal's office, and I would just tell the principal, I wish I were dead, like over and over again. And I think back then, they didn't know how to handle someone who said those things. I think there's probably a protocol now when a kid says, like, I wish I were dead. Right to the shrink. Right, something, right? But there's just like, okay, get back out there type of thing. <laughs> and um, You're still paddling back in those days, probably. <laughs> exactly. Pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. Um, for some reason, when I was... You know, I was sexually abused when I was five. My brother went to prison for four years when I was eight. And my parents were constantly fighting and screaming and passive aggressive. There wasn't a lot of love in the household. My older sisters uh, attempted suicide. Um, so it was just like, it felt like a, it felt like numbing small trauma every day and then like big trauma every like couple of years, right? Mm. Like something happened was like, Boom, here's a big trauma. And then just numbing, passive aggressive, not being seen, heard, like cared for. That that, that was the story I would tell myself. Like yeah, numbing yeah. little yep. traumas, big trauma. Numbing little trauma, big trauma. And for whatever reason, I kept thinking, like, why am I here? There's gotta be a reason. Because otherwise I might as well just end it. That's what I thought as a child, right? Jeez. And I just kept saying to myself, and I grew up in a small town in Ohio, and I kept saying to myself, like, I was here to do something. I don't know what it is, but I just need to get through this. I just need to get through this. I need to figure out what it is. There was something inside of me that just kept saying, like, you're here for something greater. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's source of God, like, my own craziness. The veil between intuition and, you know, the intuition in you seems thin compared mm-hmm. to some. Yeah. Right? To, to be able to be in that position, yet feel I'm here for something. Mm-hmm. That veil's thinner. Yeah. Which is great. And it took a long time because I, I really didn't feel like I had many friends. It wasn't until I found sports. Mm. And it was just like, I got picked last on a dodgeball team one time in school in third grade. And I was just like... Never again am I going to How? You're like six foot. Exactly. I mean, you were probably 5'10 then. <laughs> I was tall. Yeah, I was like six foot then. And, um, and I was a pretty decent athlete. I was yeah. like, I remember this. I don't know if you know this story, but I had, there was, uh, they took us out in recess and had a, the class do a dodgeball, right? And we're going to split the, hat, the class in two. And the teacher picked like two guys to pick, pick the kids, like yep. two captains. Two, yep. And they're picking one by one the boys in the class, right? So they picked all the guys first, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm gonna be one of the first people picked in my mind, because I was a pretty good athlete at this time. All the boys get picked, 
And then they start picking the girls. Oh my God. And I'm standing there, I'm like, what the hell's going on? Like, I'm a good athlete, right? And so they stick all the guys, and then they pick one by one all the girls. Again? Probably like 10, 11. Okay. Yeah, 10, 11 maybe. Oh my gosh. Nine, 10, 11, somewhere on there. Maybe it's because girls mature quicker. I don't know. I don't know. I was the you. tallest kid in class. Wow. I was like, okay. I thought I was a good athlete, whatever. Then they pick all the girls one by one, and then there's me, the last one. And they didn't even pick me, I was just by default on that next person's team. And for whatever reason, then something snapped inside of me. I was like, mother effers, like, yeah. first off, I just felt like taken advantage of, I felt abused. My whole, my whole life was like this feeling of abuse and being taken advantage of because I was sexually abused. Mm. That's kind of the pattern that I've found, that I have mm -hmm. to really like be mindful of. Like, okay, mm. if I feel like someone's taking advantage of me, it's okay, like I don't have to react like they're sexually abusing me or something, right. you know what I mean? Same, same scenario. It's okay, but that's kind of the story and the pattern that I've, that I've been in. And so something snapped and I was just like, I'm gonna destroy everyone in this dodgeball. And I was just like catching everything and throwing it in kids' faces. I was just like, <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm gonna dominate. This is an SNL skit. Exactly. <laughs> right? And I was just like, never again will anyone choose me last. And kind of like you, where it's like, I had this goal in my mind and I was just like, I am, after class or whatever was done, three o'clock every day, I was at the gym till 10 o'clock every night, playing basketball, playing soccer, playing football, it, working out, whatever I could do, I was playing a sport until I had to go home. Because it was this, this deep, dark like desire to be something more than picked last. And I was like, I'm gonna prove every kid wrong who's ever made fun of me, mm -hmm. who's ever bullied me, picked on me, abused me. I was like, everyone's gonna be wrong. And that was the driving force to me, you know, achieving everything I did in athletics. Until I hit 30, I realized like my whole life I've been doing things to prove everyone wrong. And I think it's the second most powerful fuel in the world. The most powerful is lifting others up mm -hmm. and being of service mm -hmm. and coming from a place of inspiration rather than needing to look good, be right, right. And be the best. Mm -hmm. It'll get you far, but it left yeah. me feeling very unfulfilled. Right, the ego. I needed to win, I needed to be right at all costs. Mm -hmm. And I was a horrible loser. Horrible loser, like no one could be around me because I was just angry and moody. Mm -hmm. And when I realized, like, wow, I've been doing it all wrong. It's gotten me far. It helped me make a lot of money and achieve uh, athletic success. But it's like, why do I still feel lonely inside and mm. sad? Especially after I achieve my biggest year, uh, goals of 10, 20-year goals, I'm the most lonely. Why? So I think these moments in my life, I really reflect. And I start to ask myself, well, why am I this way? Why do I feel this way after a situation? After I'm succeeding, after I'm failing, after a breakup, whatever it is, why? And that's, where, and I'm, that's where my biggest lessons come because- blames, so many people blame other yeah. people, right? They're like, oh, they this, they that. We are responsible for everything. 100%. The way that I've learned it. Yeah. And when I take full responsibility for everything, my parents, my, the sexual abuse, the losses, the wins, the breakups, whatever, the good, the bad, when I take ownership for it all, even if I didn't actually do it, but if I take responsibility, mm -hmm. I feel mm -hmm. so much peace because mm -hmm. I don't have anyone else to blame. Mm -hmm. I just accept it. I don't say it's yeah. okay yeah. that these things happen, but I say, okay, it's happened and I've accepted it. What can I learn from this? Where's the good in this and how can I move forward? Mm. And that's what brings me a lot of peace. Yeah, yeah. You, um, there's a quote that I liked. You said, our mind can play tricks on us when we have no vision. A lot of tricks. Yeah. I, I think one of the scariest people in the world is someone with no vision. Because they have nothing to lose and they have nowhere to go. Nothing except to live for, the, for? Nothing. 
it blows me away. I mean, the amount of times I have asked the question at just a simple meet and greet at the racetrack over the years or, or anywhere, even at a, an event that I might be a speaker at, um, is to kind of look out there and say, if you could do anything in the world, what would you do? And so many people don't know. Don't know. Especially adults. Kids are like, an astronaut! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to be a football player, yeah. you know, but a race car driver. But <laughs> adults don't lose know. vision, yeah, yeah. lose hope. When I, I sold a business, I think like seven years ago, around seven years ago, and I remember asking myself like, okay, I've got enough money for a couple of years. It wasn't like tons of money, but I was like, I can not work for two years and I'll be okay. Yeah. So what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. Like, mm. it was kind of this question that a lot of people ask, like if money was no, uh, yeah. no, if you didn't need money, what would you do? Right, or if you had enough, what if would you If you had do? enough. And I asked myself that then, I was like, gosh, I really just want to like sit down with fascinating people and interview them. Um, that's what you're doing. And that's what I've been doing. I, I, I feel like for me, when I, I, I've been fortunate enough that anything that I dive into, I, you succeed and it probably, at. I do, but, but it's because I've, I'm passionate. You're passionate. Period. Like, and you work hard, you're I consistent, you go in the long haul. Yeah, I don't care what it is. If I don't feel it, like I'm not like excited about yeah. it, I just don't do it. Exactly. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care what, like if it's not my, my, who I am to my core, um, you know, I just don't do it. And so, you know, it's amazing what happens when you put yourself in that position of, of thriving and love and joy and, 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 and so this is something interesting of the feeling of that energizes you. So let's say these shows that I've been doing, it'll be a day where it'll be a long day, a couple of them, maybe they've been, they were deep and like I get done at the end of the day and I am energized. I am like, that was amazing. I feel good. Other than of course, when I interviewed David and Joe, <laughs> David Meltzer and Joe Dispenza, I had a migraine, but yeah. I was energized. I was excited. I was like, pop my head really hurts yeah. from all that information. Um, but I feel energized. And I don't know if you have noticed that in your life where you um, like you've noticed the energetic shift when you're doing something that fills your purpose and fills you up. Mm. Absolutely. Otherwise. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think it's easy for us to say these things right now as I'm thinking of your listeners. There might be people that are like, well, I don't have that, that option to go do what I love right now. Right now. Do you really believe that to be true for them? Um, I feel like they have to sacrifice something or give up something they have in order to do something they love for a while until they can have more finances, right? So it's like they may be able to go do what they love and have no money mm-hmm. until they learn how to make money around the thing they mm-hmm. love. So I don't think it's... Uh, I think they can do a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. It just might take time. And that's what I was going to say. Like, I remember in between college, I spent, it took two years for me to get, um, I was doing like NFL combine and tryouts. It didn't make the NFL, so I had to sit out a season. Then I did arena league the next season. I remember during that time, I was like, I have no money, but I just need to train to get ready for the next season. And I was truck driving for six hours a day, and it was miserable. Oh, yeah. I was making 250 bucks a week as a truck driver, driving okay. from Columbus, Ohio, to Cincinnati and back every single day. Oh, that's... Driving car, Napa Auto Parts. Mm-hmm. It was a Napa truck. <laughs> it was the biggest truck before you had to be licensed to, like, drive yeah. a, a whatever the truck yeah. is. a big rig. Yeah, and it was like, it only went 55 miles an hour. Oh, my god. Pedal to the metal the whole time, literally <laughs> so down. awful. Seeing cornfields the whole time flat and watching everyone pass me. It was so loud, it was uncomfortable. I was like, this sucks. It's not what I want to be doing. But it was a six hour window 
where I could work out in the morning and then afterwards. Mm -hmm. It was like the only, type of job, it. It was the only type of job that I could get right now. And then I was a bouncer on the weekends. Mm. And just doing odd jobs here and there. And I remember I was like, this is not what I want to do. Yeah. But I'm doing something else I love and yeah. pursuing that. So I'm willing to do this now until I can make enough money doing the other thing. So I think there's a transition phase for a lot of people. It might be six months, it might be a couple of years where they yeah. got to work on stuff that they don't like. How? Uh, I was like mowing lawns at a golf course in high school. I was like, I hate waking up at 5 a.m. and doing this. But it also taught me a lot of lessons. It taught yeah. me how to do something that I hated and find joy in it. Mm. And I think when you can find the joy in mopping the floors or cleaning the toilets, mowing the, whatever it is, the things you don't want to do, then when you, cr you find the thing you want to do, you're going to attract so much more joy, love, and abundance because you learned how to find joy in any activity. I think it's powerful. So how long after you had this uh, unfortunate job that you didn't love of driving trucks and being a bouncer, did you break your wrist? Uh, so after that, I played arena football. I broke my wrist in the second game of my rookie season, and then I played 14 more games. With a broken wrist? Yeah. So they x-rayed it, the doctor was like, here's the break. Wow. And I would go, <laughs> I think as athletes, we're just kind of stupid. We're like, well, can I play on it? You know. Well, weakness is not something you're supposed to show. No, no. Physical or mental. And if I sh told the coaches, they would cut me because in arena football, it's very cutthroat. They don't you don't get the whole season. They're bringing guys in every week and training. Oh wow! It's they're like bringing new players in who are fresh every week to practice against you. Oh It geez. sucks. Okay. And you're already only making a couple hundred bucks a so, week. So what I'm getting at is that interestingly enough, you kind of weren't happy. Um, with playing right? football. Or well, I don't know. You were doing a job you didn't like. You're doing a couple jobs you didn't like. Yeah. You were football playing football, but it was super cutthroat, painful. but it was painful. Okay. But I had a bigger dream in mind, which is make the NFL. Okay. So I was like, I'm willing to stick this out for the bigger dream. But you had to be done, right? You couldn't play after that? Um, so I played the season, and then I got I had to have surgery. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to take like six weeks. It took six months to okay. like get the So that was off. over with for football then? Then it was over. I was okay. in denial for a year because I was like, no, I'm going to come back. But my arm didn't have any strength. For about and, a year and a half. Yeah, I would think so. So then I started doing, I was on my sister's couch and um, for a year and a half on my sister's couch, making no money, feeling like a loser, and uh, just depressed. I was like, what am I gonna do with my life? My dream is over, <laughs> what do I do now? And that's when I started seeking out mentors. My, actually, my dad got in a really bad accident right then as well where he was kind of my backup plan. He had a life insurance company. Mm. He was like, when you're done living your dream, you can always come work for me. So I kind of had that in mind, like mm -hmm. I wasn't going to have to go find something. Mm -hmm. If I really needed it, he would take care of me. He got in a bad accident, car accident, he was in a coma for three months. He's still alive today, but he's never been the same. You don't really have an emotional connection with him. And um, I was like, wow, my dad's not here to support me. I didn't have a college degree yet because I left early for the NFL uh, combine stuff and trainings. And I really had no skills because I had to cheat all through school. <laughs> All through elementary school, high school, college, like I cheated my way through. Okay, so then what? So I was like, how am I gonna do anything? And who's gonna pay me for anything? Is this when you came up with the handball vision? It is. So I was on my sister's couch, 2008, Olympics, China. Um, I just got the cast off maybe like a couple months before. And I'm on the, her, her couch watching the Olympics because for me the Olympics is always the ultimate goal as an athlete that I've always wanted to do. But I was never playing a sport that was actually in the Olympics, mm. right? I was I was playing football and I, mean, I was playing basketball, but I wasn't good enough to play basketball in the Olympics. And um, I saw this, 
And late at night, like 2 or 3 a.m., they were showing like the sports that no one cares about in the USA. And they showed this board called Team Handball. And I was like, where has this been my whole life? Like, this is my sport. It was unbelievable. 40 million people play this around the world. How is it played? It's like water polo on a basketball court. So as opposed to water, you're dribbling, you're passing the ball, you're shooting it behind a net. There's like a goalie. Imagine like soccer with your hands on a basketball court. It's super fast. It's extremely physical. And there's a lot of athletic power and speed and accuracy. And I was just like, this is my sport. And uh, I just became obsessed. I, I just had this vision in my mind. I was like, I can make the Olympics through this because I can make the USA team. I don't even know if the US had a team. I was just like, I'm going to make this team. <laughs> if not, I'm moving to France. <laughs> exactly. And I started researching right then, like USA handball teams. There's no professional league in the USA, but there's amateur club teams. And there was a team in New York that was like the three-time national champions. And I said, I'm gonna move to New York when I make money. I'm gonna go learn the sport. I'm gonna make the USA national team. I'm gonna go play in the Olympics. I'm gonna fulfill my childhood dream. And a year and a half later, I started making enough money where I moved to New York City. I couldn't get a hold of anyone on any of these club teams. No one would respond to me, the email, nothing. But they had a website where their uh, practice schedule was in New York. And so I just said, I'm gonna show up and just go there one of these nights. I show up, I'm the only American there. It's all Europeans who played professionally in Europe who've now moved to New York. Because that's where the game is so played the most. Now all of a sudden going to be harder than you thought. <clears throat> exactly. And I said, my name is Lewis Howes. I'm here to make the USA team go to the Olympics. And they just laughed at me. They were all talking like 10 different languages, <laughs> laughing their ass at me. And I said, watch me. And they were like, well, this is our last practice of the season. Oh my we God. just won the national championships a week ago. We're just here to like hang out and kind of connect. Come back in two months. I said, all right, tell me when. Show up two months later. And I'm practicing twice a week. Because they only do two week practice a week. Twice a week for the next nine months, I make the USA national team. I play an international competition for the last seven years. And uh, they just played in the Pan Am Games. But, but you've got to win the Pan Am Games to go to the Olympics, and then they win. So that's the challenge. Oh if, my the, God. if the Olympics is in the USA, then we'd been an automatic qualifier. But it's not going to be there until 2028, and I'll be 44, something like 43. So we'll see. Just keep working out, get that it's diet. Been a, it's been know? an amazing like, journey. Like for me, I'm okay if it doesn't actually happen. Do you still play right now? I just played three weeks ago in Brazil with the team. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm one of the oldest guys on the team at 36. <laughs> and um, it's kind of like everyone's like 22 who plays in sport, you know, yeah. 22, 24. Yeah. So I was just in Brazil playing against the Brazilian national team and they're like 10th in the world. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. And um, it's just, and I'm okay again if I don't achieve the dream now. But for me, it's like... Why? How did you get to that point? I wasn't at that point until a couple years ago where I was just like, it's going to be okay. On any dream I have, I'm now okay if it actually doesn't happen. One, because there's only so much I can control. So as long as I know I did everything in my power to do everything I could to make it happen, like the team has to be amazing. There's only one tournament every four years you have to win to qualify. There's things out of my control. It's tough. And, um, but I am okay with anything in my life knowing that I gave everything to pursue the dream in my power and I lay it all in the field. Like if I do that and it doesn't work out, then I can rest in peace and be like, you know what, I have no regrets. So that's where I'm at right now. Like any big dream I have, it's okay if I don't achieve it anymore. I want to. 
So this kind of makes me also look at one of the other interesting transitions that you've had, which is this tough athlete. And then you step into this role of vulnerability, which when you're in the tough phase, the vulnerability is the thing that is like the weakness. Except when you step into it, you've realized it was the brave thing to do. It's It's the strongest thing you can do. But you can't be, you can't How did you get to that point? I, I couldn't show vulnerability as like a middle school, high school boy in my, you know, the way I grew up. Sure. If I ever wanted to be like, hey man, I'm like going through some stuff emotionally, can I talk to you about it? They'd be like, get away from me. They would like make fun of me, they would say derogatory names, they'd be like, quit being a wuss, whatever. And they wouldn't want to hang out with you. So in order to fit in, you had to play the part. You had to wear the mask. The mask of the athlete, of the you know whatever. Of course, you wrote the book, Mask, mask of masculinity. masculinity, which is what that made me my first life. realize. I think it, I feel like it was maybe like an SB bag gift, or oh, really? it was some like I don't remember where I saw it, but I got the book, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. So, what made you write that? Because at thirty that years happened, old, yeah, or? thirty years old, I had like another reflection moment. I okay. was going through, I was going through another bad breakup. That's okay. Uh, look, I'm into, I, I would describe my life like this. You said it early on. Every year, there's a, every couple of years, there's something that mm. happens in my life I would never expect. Yeah. Which is freaky, scary, and also very exciting. It makes it interesting, too. I'm on the path to getting better every day. That's it. It's literally like, I don't even barely listen to music. I listen to podcasts. I listen to shows. I listen yeah. to things that are going to help me grow. Yeah. Music is boring to me now. That's, yeah. how, that's how far it's gone for me. So I get it. But... It's also kind of scary. So you're Very 30. Scary. So I'm just I can relate, and I think it's a, you should be proud that you have yeah. these transitions. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just otherwise it's just you know status quo, and that's boring. Going through the motions, yeah. repeating the patterns over yes, and over, exactly. things like that. Nope. So I hit 30. I go through a really bad. I moved to LA for a girl. She breaks up with me the day I move here. After she after she demanded that I moved here. Oh wow. Made it an ultimatum, which was already a red flag, and I already had knew my intuition was off, but I was like. <laughs> You know, I did stupid things my whole life, so it's all good. Uh, but it was the greatest lesson for me. Like moving here for a girl, when I said I would never move for a girl, was the greatest lesson that um, I wouldn't be doing the podcast without moving to LA, feeling stuck, feeling trapped. I was in LA traffic, going through this breakup. I went through a business partnership breakup, and I was just like, everything was breaking down, it felt like. And I was stuck in traffic after a few months in LA, and I was like, why the hell am I here? Like, I hate LA. I love New York City where I was living, mm. pursuing my dream of this handball stuff, making tons of money. I felt like on top of the world. And I moved to LA for a girl. I feel stuck. Everything's falling apart. And I'm trying to go like two miles. It takes me an hour, right? I went at the wrong time. Why the hell am I here? Why the hell am I here? And I, I started thinking to myself, there's got to be other people that are feeling this as well, who are stuck in traffic. Mm. Everyone just looked miserable around me in this <laughs> traffic in LA. I was like, I bet people around the world are like stuck in traffic because I was walking everywhere in New York. So yeah. I, didn't, I didn't experience this. I was like, I bet there's people who are just stuck in life like I feel right now. And a couple of my friends had podcasts and I was like, huh, I wonder about this podcasting. I wonder if I could find a channel to create something to help people who are stuck. So I called my two friends who had podcasts right then. This is in 2012, before podcasts were a thing. Yeah. And I was like, tell me about this podcast thing. Do you like it? What's, what's the deal? They were like, I love it. Both of them said, like, I love it. It's the most fun thing I'm doing. Like, it's helping my business, my brand, and I just, I'm in love with it. And I go, mm-hmm. if these guys can do this, I can figure this out. 
And right then, it was like the path. I was like, what would it be called? Like, I don't know. I've just always been focused on like trying to achieve amazing things, great things. But I've sucked in school my whole life. Like, I wish they taught these certain lessons from sports and mentors that I'm finding like in mm, school. Definitely. I was like, the school let's, of like school let's go greatness. Go to the hill and change the curriculum because exactly right. I, I think it's terrible. <clears throat> well, but, a lot of it's pointless. That's really the point of it. They don't teach. Uh, they teach us how to study for uh, a test, but they don't teach us how to deal with our emotions when we fail it. hundred percent. They teach us how to memorize things, but they don't teach us how to communicate yeah. properly. They, you know, a lot of things. So, teach us how to avoid <clears throat> failure and not be successful. Exactly. <laughs> so I came up with a podcast then. And <clears throat> during that time, right after that time, I also like got in a fight. I was in a fight on the basketball court because everything, I was so used to when things weren't going my way, reacting negatively mm-hmm. and with anger. Because mm-hmm. I didn't know how to communicate my emotions. I didn't know how to be yeah, we vulnerable hadn't practiced and express it. how I feel. Because in school, it was acceptable to, when someone upset you, to fight them. Or to slam a locker and be angry. It was acceptable because mm. that was kind of the behavior that you expected from someone like that, like a young boy. Because every time I tried to express my emotions, I was made fun of and laughed at and called weak. So I never knew I was able to. Mm-hmm. And so at this time, business breakdown relationship breakdown, getting in fights, and just feeling stuck. And it was a moment where I said, okay, my friend was here at the fight <clears throat> who works with me now, and he was like, I don't wanna hang out with you anymore. Whoa. And this is one of my best friends, college football, work together, everything. Wow. He was like, I don't wanna hang out with you anymore. Aggressive. I was like, wow, my best friend doesn't wanna hang out with me. That's, a, <laughs> that's like, it's time to look within. You know what I mean? Yeah. No one, not everyone else is wrong anymore. Yep. It's time to look at myself. And I started saying, I'm gonna shed all this stuff. I think it's hard for us to make a change in our life unless there's some type of breakdown. And the bigger the breakdown, the more we're able to look and say, okay, what's working and what's not working? It's really hard to change anything we have going on. Bigger the breakthrough. That's it. I mean. And it was kind of a perfect storm. And I started going to a lot of um, workshops and got asked for coaching from a lot of people, talking to therapists, anyone I could talk to who I thought could help me, I would talk to, I would do their program. And that's what helped me finally start to break down the walls. It was like Mm -hmm. opening up about all my traumas of my past Mm. and just addressing it, (laughs) acknowledging it, talking about it. To friends or to like a therapist? Uh, I started in like kind of group workshops where I opened up for the first time in 25 years about being sexually abused. Wow. That had to be like pretty emotional. Yeah. I was like, I'm taking this to the grave. I was like, no one needs to know this because no one will love me if they knew this about me. Right. No one will accept me. Everyone will think I'm a whatever. I just made up stories. So Blame I, you. <laughs> everything, yeah. And so when I started talking about that, I was like, and people actually accepted me for talking about yeah. it. I was like, wow. Like, let me just share everything. <laughs> you know, then I just like. You're like, well, if that's going to blow you away, let yeah. me. <laughs> but I was so scared to talk about my emotions. And I said, man, I don't want to be scared of this anymore. So let me do it. Talk about it all the time until I'm not scared. And then I had power over all of it. Well, I was gonna just say you take its power away. I took my, I took my power back. Like, yeah, from it. And listen, I still get triggered every now and then and things sure. happen and I'm like reactive, but I'm so quick to be like, okay, you're going back to a place of scarcity, of fear, of insecurity, yeah. Yeah. and that's not who you are. That's not who you wanna be. So I reflect on it, I address it, I create a new commitment to myself, I meditate, I work out, make my bed, and I focus on just trying to be a better person every day. 
So is this your own personal paradigm shift, or do you think that this is a, more of a cultural paradigm shift with um, what? You know, the masculine and feminine both <clears throat> being acceptable within genders either way? I think it has to be. I think we're being forced to, I mean, I think men are being forced to be more vulnerable and loving with Me Too, Time's Up, social media, with everything being out there. Mm -hmm. I don't think men can hide this kind of mask or live behind the mask anymore. Yeah. Otherwise, they're gonna be called out. Like everyone's being called out for not being honest, being vulnerable, being loving, and, and I think you're just gonna constantly be called out by someone. Mm -hmm. You know, the bigger you are as a personality, mm -hmm. you'll be called out by media or by peers. Your friends are to call you out in smaller circles. So I feel like men are being, maybe they don't like it, but I think it's the best thing for men is to shift wearing these masks into being more open Did and Did you like it? Uh, it's not comfortable opening up. Like six years ago when I started like going yeah. through all this, no, I didn't like, like talking about this. It was terrifying. Yeah. It was the hardest thing emotionally I've ever done to talk yeah. about my biggest insecurities. Because yeah. I, I literally didn't think my family would love me, my friends. I was like, everyone's going to disown me if they knew yeah. this. Stupid conversation that I built up, but I felt like everyone would think less of me mm -hmm. if they really knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone listening or watching, if you ask yourself, like, what are the things that you've been through, done, resentful of, guilty of, heaven forgiven, what are the things that you're ashamed of that you don't want anyone to know? And you don't think, and you think people would stop loving you if they knew who you really were. Write all those things down mm -hmm. and look at those things. I think the greatest gift you can give yourself is to find one person that you really trust and say, hey, I wanna share some things with you that I've never shared with anyone. And all I want you to do is listen. It's very vulnerable for me to open up about these things and I'm really scared to tell you. Mm -hmm. But I love you and I trust you and I respect who you are as a person and I really just want you to know. I think if you write a list of the things you're most ashamed of and you tell someone you really trust and care about and maybe you don't have someone in your life and maybe it's the therapist you pay who's gotta keep it confidential, at first, I truly think your life will start to transform when you share the things you're most ashamed There's of. There's power in saying words. Yeah. I don't know how you know it was for you, but in my life when I've expressed something with words. Freedom. Yes, but a ton of emotion pours out. It's like, it's like that energy has been sitting inside and when you get the words out, it literally pulls that out of you. And those and that negativity, that fear, that you know, those, all, those, all those emotions that you've pent up get to go away. Not all the oh. way, but you get to get rid of a lot it's of a it. Sickness. And it pours out of you with like crying and like my biggest transitions have come with realizations have come with like almost like convulsions. Like I'm shaking yeah. and like vomiting. Some people throw up. Some people, sure. That's probably what, it's probably more ayahuasca I think you're thinking <laughs> of, but that was that was last week no. Um, <laughs> what's but, the thing that you were most ashamed of to tell people and when you t started talking about it whether it be publicly or intimately that you felt this sense of like freedom or release? I mean, I, we actually had just, we were touching on like right at the beginning, but yeah. when I said that I didn't really like, like love racing, that was, I didn't want to admit that to myself. I actually <laughs> remember the first time I admitted that to my dad at the end of my last full season. And I was like, I just, I don't love racing. He's like, I know. And I thought he was going to be one that would be like, what do you mean? He's like, I know. He's like, you were good at it and you needed a job. And I was like, wow. wow. And it's How not long that I, I mean, I, that, I, that, was two, that was 2017. 
How long did you not love it for? I don't think I ever truly loved wow. racing itself. Like I, <laughs> I never crazy. got excited to go to the track even. What? For race day? Like I didn't get excited. I was nervous. Yeah. I mean, I cared how it went yeah. deeply and there were parts about it I loved. For sure. You don't do something for 27 years and not love parts, parts of it. Of it yeah. But I was very, very determined to accomplish my goals, right? I'm, I have the dream. I want to accomplish it. I'm very goal-oriented. Wow. So it, it was like, but the process of it was, you know, the growth. That was the challenge. Like, I didn't love going to the race shop and hanging out. The meeting. Like, there was just a lot of stuff that wasn't yeah. so fun. And, <laughs> you know, I didn't enjoy the discomfort I got put in. But, gosh, I did grow. And I learned to stretch myself. And I learned wow. to, you know, there was a lot of things I learned. But saying that out loud to my dad was probably one of, like, the biggest moments. I was like, wow, really? Um and so admitting that out loud was something that, um, and coming to that conclusion even, like I can, I can remember being a kid and being like, why am I not excited to go to the track? Or like as in, you know, getting paid millions of dollars to go drive, why am I not excited to go to the track? And it was like, I just wrote it off to the fact that, and maybe it's part of it, is that I was nervous, right? Yeah. So it's hard to get really excited. I mean, I get excited to go on vacation, right? I don't get excited <laughs> to go hit concrete walls at 230 miles an hour in India. That'd be nervous you know? for me too. Yeah, so I was, I, there was a lot of that going on, Jeez. so I can't just say that it was like, I didn't <laughs> like it at all, or I didn't love, love it, but, <clears throat> but I didn't get excited to go, and I always thought that was really weird. Wow. And now I know why, and that's just because it, like, for me, there were parts about it I loved, but then there were tons of it that I just didn't care about. Wow. For, for me, I love, like, I love setting a goal and achieving it. So that, it doesn't really matter what it is. Mm. And I love helping What if helping you could set people. a goal that you loved right. and achieve that? So that's kind then of you're what on the, fire. Yeah. Well, that's actually what I told my dad that moment was I was like, if I did this with something I didn't really love, imagine what I could do with stuff I do. <laughs> if I'm making millions of dollars and one of the top in the world at what I don't love. Yeah. So... Interestingly enough, like this is something, this is probably my first like job, I put air quotes around it, um, of doing these shows where I feel like I love it and mm -hmm. I, I enjoy it. I actually, I never did, I never did, I never studied or anything. I did my homework just so I get an A in homework and the C on the test and get a B in the class. Um, <laughs> I wish I was that But okay. <laughs> I, I, I never read, I didn't read stuff, I didn't uh, study, yeah, but yeah. I study every guest I have That's cool. for a long time. <clears throat> I like format my questions. Wow. Like I, I mean, I really go into it. I, I Maybe I'll get a little bit more, I would say half of actually this interview has actually been nothing about what I've written because you're super interesting and you can carry the whole thing. But, um, but and we're we're very similar but mm. you know this has been something that i truly like fills me up That's and cool. i enjoy doing and um was it about this that you love the process of interviewing people and researching people? i love growing Learning, mm -hmm. yeah, that's why yeah. I keep doing I just, it. The, I mean, school is done wrong, right? We don't. We should be climbing trees when we're seven, not sitting in the same seat and raising our hand to have to go to the bathroom, right? Like now, we should learn. I, I've taken more courses and read more yeah. books in my thirties than ever, and so I think it's this true. is the time Gosh. now. Yeah. You have kids? I don't. You don't want to have kids? Oh, no, I do. I mean, I do. Are you going to have yeah, kids? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to have kids, but... Do you want to? I have frozen eggs. I guess I could have them on my own, but... Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, You have, but a, you no, have I, a desire of one day I potentially do. doing that, right? I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it would be amazing to raise a human, you know? Crazy, the world doesn't right? more, need more people. It needs more good people, right? It does. So, um, do you want kids? 
Everyone asked me that and in my last relationships. I was like, yeah, maybe in the future, mm-hmm. but I think I never felt good about, I didn't feel peace in one relationship that yeah. I was always terrified. Mm-hmm. But for the first time, I'm like, man, I talk about having kids. Mm-hmm. Like in the future, but I Comfortably? Talk, yeah, I'm like, yeah, in like four or five years, you know, like, okay. <laughs> I'll talk about it. Comfortably, it's far enough away to talk about comfortably. But I'll talk about it and I'm yeah. like, I can't believe I'm actually having a conversation yeah. about having a baby. Okay. Right. It's so weird yeah. and foreign to me, but it yeah. feels normal and natural because well, I that, feel peace. I mean, we're, you're 36, 36, I'm 37, and so you know we've lived our whole life without it, so yeah. it's almost weird to talk about it now. Weird. And it's, I'm like, so, it's so nice having independence, too. Yeah. yeah. It's like just be able to do whatever I want. Yeah. So it's just learning how to be like, okay, my life will be completely different yeah. and amazing at the same time. Yeah. Life but changes in ways you never expect every couple of years. True. You never know. That's true. You never know. Maybe two, three years. Yeah. What, um, can you give me, can you give me like maybe three really important steps to, to manifesting? Cause I think that you're, you're a master manifester. And as yeah. I've heard you talk about like when no one's looking, you're, you're, you're scheming on how to yeah. conquer the world essentially. Yeah. So like, can you maybe For me, help people with that? Manifesting, um, comes from first gratitude. For me, it's just everything is it's so simple, but I just feel like it works. Gratitude is like my whole day. I heard wake up in the morning and just say thank you. Thank and you. And it really feels good. Thank you. That's it. The first thing you do, wake up. It's not look at your phone, look say at thank Instagram. You. It's thank you. Thank you for another day. And thank you for my parents for bringing me to this world. And thank you to my, uh, my ancestors. Because if they didn't have their life the exact way it was, I wouldn't be here. So just that frequency of gratitude. Thank you, I'm here, okay. right? And I have another day. Any day, I just see so many people on the news who are like, yep, he just walked across the street and dead. You know, it's just like, you never know yeah. when it's our time. And we mm-hmm. think we have till 100 and we're gonna peacefully die or whatever with our friends and family. You could be gone on my way back home today. And so I'm constantly focusing on gratitude and what I have as opposed to what I lack. So I think if you wanna manifest something, you need to focus, be grateful for what you have as opposed to what you lack. That's for me, the first thing. Focus on what you want, not what you don't want. Exactly, so I'm always like, man, I'm just grateful that I I live in LA as opposed to, oh, the traffic. I'm grateful I'm in the center of the universe, essentially, you know, it's like where everything seems to be. We're the most influential people, I have access to things, it's sunny every day. It's like, as opposed to complaining about the clouds this morning, like, the sun's gonna come up, you know, and soon. So I'm focusing on what I have, and I'm gra- grateful for it every day. So me, expressing that energy, I'm attracting and manifesting more. I think, um, for me, my in my uh, environment with my thoughts is very important. Like imagine my thoughts uh, and my brain as like um, a landscape, and I think about, do I want to have <clears throat> Do I want to have my brain be a desert or a rainforest? In a rainforest, things are flourishing. Mm-hmm. It's being watered with like clean water. Mm-hmm. There's animals, there's fruits, it's like waterfalls. And it's like this growing living thing. And that comes from constantly learning, yeah. constantly growing, trying new things, and being in a positive mindset. Like yeah. a positive mindset seems so simple and people talk about it. But if we have like a, a bucket in our brain and it's filled with negative thoughts, we're gonna have a desert. You know what I mean? If the bucket of our brain is always filled with like negative thoughts or lack or anger mm-hmm. or resentment or lack mm-hmm. of forgiveness, then our, then our environmental mindset is gonna be a desert yeah. and nothing can Kills grow. Kills anything alive. Nothing can grow in that. 
So that's why it's like gratitude is just such a ritual all day. Yeah. Like when you call my cell phone and if I don't pick up, I say, thanks for calling, tell me what you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. And then I'll reply. So it's like, I'm trying to evoke gratitude from other people, I'm trying to think about it, I'm trying to cause it, I'm just trying to be it. Mm. And I just wanna be in the environment of a rainforest where mm. things can grow okay. and flourish. So that's what I really try to focus on. And um, I think healing the past is another way to manifest. Like if we have resentment in our heart, yeah. it's really hard to manifest. They're like walls, right? It's walls. So whatever pain I feel, I'm just constantly trying to heal from the past. Mm. And I think if you want to manifest, you've got to let go of anger, resentment, and a lack of forgiveness, or I mean, and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Because it's hard to be grateful and angry mm -hmm. at the same time. So and it's as you like said, forgiving yourself, which is really powerful. Constantly forgiving like, yourself. It just saying, just that simple act of like not forgiving mm. someone else outside of yourself, but forgiving yourself for feeling a certain way or acting a certain way. Yeah, exactly. Forgiveness. I've had to forgive myself all the time. Yeah. And then the final thing I would say is um, emotional courage. I create, I've created challenges my whole life to overcome my emotional fears. Mm -hmm. Fears of rejection, fears of looking bad, fears of being judged. And I'm always thinking of, I try to tell people this, if they want to increase their confidence, write a list, not the shame list, this is the fears list of all the things you're most afraid of. I'm not talking like, I don't know, Spiders. An alligator yeah, or something. Spider. You're I'm, talking, I'm talking about, about like the emotional fears. Sure. Like I'm yeah, afraid of rejection. I'm afraid yep. of like my my wife leaving me. I'm afraid yep. of whatever. And so my whole life I've been afraid emotionally. And at certain stages I just say I'm sick and tired of feeling this way. Mm. So I was always afraid to talk to girls because I would get rejected by them all the time. And I never thought I was interesting as like a kid, as like a <laughs> young teenager. And one summer I was like I'm sick and tired of feeling scared every time a girl walks by me. Like I would just be scared. Mm. I was like, I don't want to feel this way. Mm. And I gave myself a challenge this whole summer. After I was 16, I gave myself a challenge in the summer. I was like, every time I see a girl, it doesn't matter if I'm attracted, not attracted, I'm going to go up to her. And I'm going to have a conversation. Because I was so terrified to do it, I was just like, I need to do it until it doesn't feel scary. Yeah. It was the greatest gift I gave myself. Yeah. Desensitize yourself. Yeah, I was just like, it doesn't matter how many times I get rejected, I yeah. still love myself. Mm -hmm. And it got me just so calm and confident mm -hmm. next to a stranger, mm -hmm. a man, woman, it didn't sure, matter. Anybody it just, then. It got me confident to be able to just like take a risk and say something stupid yeah. and silly and goofy and just put yeah. myself out there. Someone like smile. Yeah. And it was just like, wow. At the end of the summer, I was going up to like, 20, 40 year old women at a time in groups and just being like, hey, what's up, lady? You know, just like being like a positive, wow. funny, goofy wow. guy. And like, who you cares? You created yourself there. I was just like, who cares what they say? Like, I'm never gonna see these people again. But I have so much more confidence. Like, I was able yeah. to get them to smile. Yeah. We talked for 10 minutes. Yeah. Whatever. There was a girl yeah. that gave me her phone number. You know, it's like, okay, little wins. But it's like, yeah. It helped me to, like, for the rest of my life, be like, man, I can go talk to anyone. The ability the, to, to learn how to say hello and goodbye are incredibly powerful. Huge. Because sometimes the reason why you don't go say hello is because you don't know how to get out of the conversation. Yeah. Like, I pride myself in being a professional. You're good at saying goodbye. Like, I know how. Hey, like, I gotta go. You know, bye. Hey, what? You know, I know you're in a rush, but hey, it's good, good to see you. Or, like, right. you know, you've got to know how to say hello and goodbye. Yeah. And that, that is going to be a helpful tool your whole life. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that was a challenge. I remember when I graduated college, I was terrified to speak in front of class my whole life. 
So I was like, I'm sick and tired of being afraid to speak in front of five people. <laughs> like, uh, as like a professional speech, right? I could talk to people one by one or small groups, mm -hmm. like as a challenge, but I couldn't like present an idea mm. unless I was being silly or goofy or something. <laughs> and I said, and a mentor of mine, this is the time when I was like injured and trying to figure things out. And a mentor of mine was like, if you want to change the world, you need to learn how to speak and present in front of an audience. I was like, okay, let me try this out. So I'm terrified to speak, but I'm going to join a public speaking class. I went to Toastmasters. I did it every week for a year. Is that similar to like, I, when I was a kid, someone paid, one of my sponsors paid for me to go to the Dale Carnegie speaking course. It's probably similar, similar? to that. I'm not sure okay. what that, yeah, I'm Working sure it's similar. Working groups and you do little presentations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this was like. Learn how to memorize people's names, which I forgot how to do, but <laughs> I need to practice. Yeah, this is like, a, it's an international organization. You pay like a hundred bucks for the year. Oh, okay. And you, they have like a, an hour once a week you meet okay. for a session and different people are giving speeches. Okay. You give people feedback. Oh wow! You you have opportunities to speak yourself, and Better so I did that. People, exactly. And so I was terrified. I was like this twenty-four-year-old. I had a cast on at the time, like a full arm cast. Everyone's in suits, and they're like thirty to fifty, and they're professional and uh, unbelievable speakers. I was just stuttering the whole time. I had to have my speech written out word for word. I was looking down on the podium mm. the whole time, stuttering at my own words, nervous of what they're thinking about me. But it was a safe environment with like positive feedback. They're not just laughing at you. And um, I did that every week for a year. And at the end, I'm um, no notes, getting standing ovation in front of people. But it's also like I had a coach. I practiced it in my mind every day. I would work on it every day. I would record my sessions. I would watch them back. It wow. was like being an athlete for speaking. Yeah. So I had this goal in mind mm. and I was just like, okay, my challenge. This took like... It wasn't two or three months like the girl thing when I was a teenager. This took a year yeah. to overcome the fear. Well, I have this as saying for myself with difficult things that the only way to the other side is through. Through it. That's it. And it's, it just means that it might not feel good. It's not going to feel good. It's not supposed to feel good. It's not supposed, if you're going to get, a, the bigger the discomfort, the bigger the bigger the breakthrough, mm -hmm, right? Absolutely. The bigger the break, the yeah, bigger the breakthrough. Exactly. Yeah. So I try to do well, that in every area of my life. That's Anytime I feel like admirable. emotional fear. And that's obvious. Like what I said when I read more mm -hmm. about you, I was like, your life is a whole bunch of just transitions and challenges. And yeah. I think one of the questions I even wrote down was like, do you feel brave? Because it's clear that you have been. Yeah. It's just that you you might not, maybe you don't even recognize that, but you are to a lot of people. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Um, so on the way here, I... Uh, I, I was like, I wanted to hear more about you. And so the perfect one to listen to was 73 questions. Oh, with yeah, you. yeah, last week, yeah. That was great. And a really great idea, in fact. You I, I mean, do it. I think I was also thinking to myself, what makes my podcast any different than anyone else's? And I'm like, me, I guess, you know, right? My stories and what I've grown through and you. learned. Yeah. And so, um, but of course, the one thing that I wrote down on this card <laughs> while driving, yes, I multitask, um, plenty. Um, is, um, of course, that you don't get asked enough of, which is, what are you most grateful for? So that's, oh, well, that's, that's what good. I want you to finish with. See, I just had a courses. smile because not many people ask me that. What are you most grateful for? <sighs> I'm always grateful for health and the opportunity to use my legs and push hard because there's so many people that I know who don't have that ability, and I think we take it for granted. When we have all of our, you know, mm -hmm. limbs and we're healthy, so I'm always grateful for that. 
But in this moment, I'm really grateful for you. I'm grateful <laughs> for Aww. you asking me to be here. Um, I'm grateful to spend time with you. I think the last time we were together, I had a great time. Yeah, it was really great. And um, I see your stuff online, and I think you're an amazing inspiration for me, let alone like tons of people around the world, but for me, you're an inspiration because of your courage to end something that you were really good at, making a lot of money at, Mm -hmm. to go figure out the next chapter, which might be scary. A lot of people are like, oh, you're going to be fine. But I understand a transition is scary. Yeah. When your identity is wrapped around something yeah. for so long, it doesn't matter how famous or good or how much money you make, mm-hmm. it's still challenging. So mm-hmm. I'm grateful for this moment with you. Mm, thank you. Well, reciprocal because you don't, you don't maybe know, but you played a part in it. You know, doing your show really yeah. showed me how fun it can be to air quote work. There you go. I don't feel like I'm working. I don't either. That's I why work. I have to put air quotes around it. I know. Like, you can see it on video, but you can't see it. And just imagine it, of exactly. course. Um, but it doesn't feel like that. So thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. And also, thank you so much, Trevor Hall, for the awesome music. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.